okay, hey, the dick guy from the stuff. He's got a cocker spaniel. That's pretty funny, right? <laughs> I don't want to wait for my turn to be over. I'm going to resign, get on this helicopter. Welcome to episode 37 of the Presequential Podcast, where we go from 1 to 45 in under 90 and discuss the life, legacy, and little-known facts of every American president. I'm your host, Ryan Allward, joined by Blaine Zimmerman and our producer and vice presidential expert, Russ Slivka. Shout out to all of our patrons across the country who helped to make this episode possible. If you want to get early, ad-free, and maybe some bonus episodes of the podcast, join our Patreon community, patreon.com slash presequential. Blaine, tell everybody about the book we read for Nixon's episode, what we're calling it, and about the booze we're drinking in his honor tonight. This is episode 37. So this is about Richard Nixon, a man some people have probably heard of. We're probably getting into, take Gerald Ford out of the statement, but we're getting into the time period where just about everybody's going to have an opinion of every president. We a do strong opinion, yeah. And... I'm terrified of that. The, <laughs> <laughs> not of people having opinions, but I think it's going to be harder and harder as we get through it, either to A, keep our non-bias, yeah. or B, have people hear it through a non-bias lens. Yes. Like we, because I think that's kind of where we're at now, right? Yeah. So. Acceleratingly so. Although it would be weird <laughs> if you're on the pro side of this. Yeah. So this is a book called Richard Nixon, A Life by John A. Farrell. Uh, not like the cat, like. F-A-R-R-E-L-L. Thank you for that clarification. It was written in 2017. It is 558 pages. This episode is titled The Crook. There it is. Mm. Oh, man, I knew all along. (laughs) I was like, I wonder, like starting back in like Lincoln, I'm like, I wonder what he's going to call Nixon. It's funny because when you walked in the house, you said, I have a feeling I know what you're going to call this episode. And I said, you're right. You're right. Before you even said what it is. I was like, it's it's exactly what you think it is. Uh, We Um, are 17,218 pages in. That means we're probably going to hit 20. Grand. I think we will. I think we will. So I picked out an alcohol specifically for this episode. I I didn't even look up what he liked to drink, even though I'm pretty sure it was like some sort of bourbon or or gin martini. I just, for whatever reason, this wine, I knew in my head, this is what we we're going to drink for tonight. This is uh, Snoop Dogg is on the label, which is just cool. <laughs> Um, Cali Red, 19 Crimes, Cali Red to 2020. Uh, I think it's like a blend. So, um, yeah. So yeah. I thought, you know, the name was fitting, but also it's from California, which yeah. if you want to jump in, Richard Nixon was born in. First of all, let's get a clinky. Okay. Uh, January 9th, 1913. <laughs> Russ, there you go. Shout out to you. And also our mystery alcohol sponsor there. Yeah. Everybody put up two, uh, peace signs. Mm-hmm. Before we get into his early life, what do you guys remember about him from social This episode is called The Crook. (laughs) The Crook. (laughs) I mean, everything. Tricky Dick, Mm -hmm. peace signs, impeachment, Yep. et cetera. Vietnam. 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 Uh, Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sure. California. Hated communists. Mm -hmm. Interesting profile. Watergate. Mm -hmm. Famous uh, bank robbing mask. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. Point Uh, break. Yeah. Isn't it in uh, one of the Batman movies, too, with Heath Ledger, maybe? No? Ooh, is that a Maybe it's just a clown mask. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, well, Richard Milhouse Nixon was born on January 9th, 1913, in the small California town of Yorba Linda. Is, uh, <laughs> that sounds like the name of a White Stripe song. Yorba Linda. Linda. Yeah. Yorba yeah. Linda. Yeah. Uh, no, Yorba Linda. Right? Oh, I thought you said like the no, no, belongs like they to just, you. They have a song called like Hotel Yorba or something like that. So either way, was Millhouse named after him? You were allowed to watch that growing up. 
Oh, Millhouse on the Simpsons? Yeah. Yeah. Probably. I imagine it was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was never allowed to watch it, so I oh. don't even know if I could pick. Millhouse, is, he's got glasses. Yeah. I think I might have been allowed to watch The Simpsons. I just didn't. Oh. But uh, hmm. yeah, anyway. I watched it. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure you did. I got it covered. <laughs> Millhouse was uh, the one who's like, uh, I found a moon rock in my nose. No, no, no. That's Ralph. That's oh, that's Ralph. Ralph, Ralph okay. Wiggum. Duh, okay. Ralph. <laughs> Wiggums. Young Dick was the second of five boys, four of whom were named after kings who had ruled in medieval or mythical Great Britain. He was named after Richard I, the Lionheart. Really? What yeah. if he was named after like Richard V? And I don't even know if that's a bad Richard, but like, and then later they were like, no, 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 we named after the good one. I yeah. promise. <laughs> promise, <laughs> promise. His dad was a, a alcoholic, lime farmer, farmed limes yeah. un- unsuccessfully. Very unsuccessfully, um, yeah. And he also beat his children, and that's where... Uh, Richard got the concept that good leadership is based on fear, not love. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, my therapist told me that uh, about Richard Nixon. <laughs> oh, not, oh, yeah. oh, I see. <laughs> oh, that was an interesting conversation to have about Nixon. <laughs> yeah. I was uh, just laying on the couch and I was like, I don't know, Doc, what do you think about Richard Nixon's childhood? Uh, his mom was a Quaker. Uh, and his dad converted from Methodism to Quaker. Through Hannah, Nixon was a descendant of the English settler Thomas Cornell, who was also an ancestor of Ezra Cornell, the founder of Cornell University. Yeah, where your best friend went to school. Andy Bernard. Yeah. Uh, as well as of Bill Gates and Jimmy Carter. So well, Carter I mean, and it's, Nixon, yeah, distant It's cousins. where you go when you can't get into a real Ivy League school. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, we had a, a field artillery lieutenant in Afghanistan that went to Cornell, and we always gave him. He, he would be like, you went to Indiana State. And I would be like, yeah, but it was my first choice. Yeah, better than Cornell. <laughs> Two of his brothers died of tuberculosis. Yeah, one when he was 12. Uh, his brother, Arthur, the younger brother, died. Who was named after the king. Yep, there you go. They had a round table. And then his other brother, Harold, his older brother, died when he was in college. Herod? Harold. Oh. Harold. It'd be funnier if he was named after King Herod. King Herod, yeah. yeah just one of them, just a yeah. random. <laughs> yeah, wow. he was like, you know, we're not. your mom might be a Quaker, yeah. but. <laughs> going to chop your head off. The family's ranch Do you failed. remember why they got TB? I'm sorry? Do you remember why they got TB? I don't. It was a while ago when I read Raw the book. cow milk. Oh, Probably yeah. Probably from the cows eating all the bad limes. Sounds about right. Yeah. This door opening brought to you by uh, <laughs> Ginny Zimmerman, Blaine's wife. Welcome uh, back. Our resident podcast wife, not our... Never mind. You know what I mean. Uh, the family's ranch failed in 22, and the Nixons relocated to another small town, East Whittier, which was named after poet John Greenleaf Whittier, one of okay. America's most eminent Quakers. So it was a Quaker community, and that's really where... Oats. Huh? Oats. Oats. Tons. Tons of them. And so, uh, that's where he spent his formative years. So it's... Pronounce it for me. Whittier? Whittier. It's okay. I was curious yep. about that. I didn't know if they called it Whittier. Ah. Or if they indiana it up and called it Whittier. 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 <laughs> Whittier. We'd live down in Whittier. Yeah. So How many Indiana parts. towns are mispronounced that are, All are very European? Every uh, single one. Versailles is Versailles. It's Versailles, Du Bois County, uh, Milan. Yeah. Brazel. Brazel. No, they say Brazil. That one's, but oh. Brazil's not in Europe. So that's a good point. Mexico, that's up north. Yeah. Uh, Peru. Peru. Mm. <laughs> He finished third in his high school class and earned a scholarship to Harvard, but he had to forego it because his dad was sick and uh, he was needed at the store. Yeah, so that was we skipped that. So when his when the farm failed and they moved to Whittier, uh, his dad became a grocer slash gas station attendant, yeah. and that, unlike the limes, was successful. Mm-hmm. So it's like they always say: when life gives you limes, 
open a grocery store gas station. They do say that. That old <laughs> adage. Yeah. It's actually on the Welcome to Whittier sign. Yep, that's right. Uh, instead, he attended nearby Whittier College, where he was president of the student body. He founded a society called the Orthogonian Society. So <laughs> there, there was one called the Franklin Society, whose members were basically from prominent local families. And he was snubbed and not invited into that. So he started his own called the Orthogonian Society. And this was named after what? I have no idea. But they also allowed black members into that society. The Franklin Society did not. And, and uh, was the Franklin Society just trying to pretend like they were richer than they actually were? Perhaps. Because they were like, well, if we named it after these super rich people. Yeah. Well, what year was this? Uh, this would have been like in the 30s, early 30s. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. people knew they were. Uh, well, he, no, Roosevelt, duh. Roosevelt's not Franklin's. <laughs> Franklin was, I know what you mean. Though. Yeah, sorry. Uh, he was also a substitute on the football team and noted for his enthusiasm. He did. He was on the team, but didn't really play. Oh, when yeah. you said substitute, I was thinking like teacher. No. And like every once in a while, if not enough kids showed up, they were like, come on, Dick. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what you're saying is like he fit the old adage of uh, if you can't be an athlete, be an athletic supporter. Yeah. Yeah, and he was. He also formed a lasting relationship with his coach, Wallace Chief Newman, who was a member of the La Jolla Band of Mission Indians. Uh, in his memoirs, Nixon would later say that his admiration for Coach Newman was second only to what he felt for his dad. What did you do that look for? I was looking up the meaning of the Orthogonian Society. Yeah, what'd you find? And there's, uh, it was founded by Richard Nixon. There you but go. There's we no just expl- established that, uh, Russell. No. <laughs> I know, but that's the only thing I could find. And it's still very prominent today at Whittier College. Well, there you go. That's cool. But they don't say what that means. Orthogonian. Orthogon. I don't know. I don't know. In 1937, he earned a law degree from Duke, uh, where he was the head of the Student Bar Association and graduated third in his class again. After Duke, he initially wanted to work for the FBI, um, but he didn't receive a response to his application. Although years later, he would learn that he had actually been hired, but his appointment was canceled because of budget cuts at the last minute. So he never really fit in at Duke. Which, like, wasn't surprising because, I mean, I don't know if you know, I don't know if you've ever actually met somebody that went to Duke. I have. Um, you have? Yeah. So. My yeah. former brother-in-law for his master's. You know. Yeah, I know. Uh, so, I, man, don't get me started. He was curious. I think it was his last year of law school. Um, he broke into the dean's office to check the scores. Oh, yeah. Foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Except for this time, he was the one breaking in. Right. So he knew about it up front. Correct. After Duke, he went back home to California, started working as an attorney. <laughs> and uh, in January of 38, he was cast in the Whittier Community Players production of the mystery drama play The Dark Tower, in which he played opposite a high school teacher named Thelma Pat Ryan. He thought it was love at first sight, but she turned him down several times before agreeing to go out on a date with him. He'd even drive her... Is it because she found somebody that was... Whittier. (laughs) I applaud that. That was good. That was good. He would drive her to and from her dates with other guys. Oh my. Mm, There's a word for that. He would also. (laughs) There's a word for that. He would also tag along. It's like another euphemism for his name, but you take the top of the O off. Yeah, no. no, no, no. (laughs) He he would also tag along as the third wheel when she would go ice skating on a date. Like he would just be ice skating behind her. What a loser. He sucked at ice skating. So. You have this oh bumbling third wheel behind you. What? That but, you marry. Yeah, eventually they, they dated for two years. 
and then they wed in the foreshadowing alert. They wed in the presidential suite of the Mission Inn at Riverside, California, on June twenty first, nineteen forty. That is the saddest thing I know. of any of the presidents we've heard. Yeah, like that is the saddest behavior. He would drive her to and from. He would pick her up from dates that she had with other guys, and join her in the, the figure skating. Yeah, place. like yeah. safely behind. That is that is super creepy. Mm-hmm. Not not just creepy, like sad. Yeah, sad. Very sad. Oh, he was breaking into her room at night. Oh, was watching 100%. her sleep. And this Making was after. balls of her hair of yes. her. He was like cool Ethan. <laughs> he <was> like, <laughs> we didn't talk about a very first case he had when he went back to be a lawyer in Whittier. I don't remember Whitty, Whitty, Whittier, as I call it. His first case, he completely bungled it. And I can't remember exactly what, what he did. It was either paperwork or something he did in... I think it was something he forgot to file. Okay. And it was like something super simple. And what it did was it got them, the firm sued and they lost for $4,800, which is 60 grand now. Yeah. Like imagine that was your first, like you start work and they're like, we need you to do this easy thing because you're new and do the easy thing. And then you come back and they're like, uh, I, I did the thing wrong. And now you owe 60 grand. Yeah. How's that Duke law degree treating you? Good job, guys. The Nixons would go on to have two daughters, Trisha, who was born in 46, and Julie, born in 48. So Trisha, when his wife went into labor with Trisha, uh, the doctor said he had a few hours, so he went on a rally, like a political rally. And when he came back, she was born. I I also last week met someone uh, named Trisha, and she said that she was named after Richard Nixon's daughter. Wow. It was probably the crowning achievement in poker faces. (laughs) (laughs) Good job. Because she was like, yeah, it was named after Richard Nixon's daughter. And a lot of people don't know that was her name. And I go, oh, huh. And then we moved on because there, because inside my body was like, you got to talk more about this. (laughs) Um, Tell her. So, yeah. Oh, man, that was a wild, like, and she just nonchalantly said it too. Like, it was wild. Did she give any indication whether she was a Nixon supporter or a no. like? Was she? Proud She's of a it? Trisha supporter. Yeah, she's all Trisha all the way. Like, By the way, Pat was nicknamed Pat because her dad was. She came from an club. Irish family, and I think she was born on the eve of St. Patrick's Day, and that was kind of her nickname. But uh, her real name was, was like, Thelma. And I'm Pat. <laughs> her real name was what? Thelma. Thelma. Ah, Thelma. They did try to start a frozen juice business. Yeah, this is funny. <laughs> Popsicles. Yep. Squeeze them and freeze them. Yeah, yeah. it didn't didn't work. In 38, there was a surplus of oranges in California. He, he was, was like, I know this business. Yeah. My dad used to be in citrus. You know, he did horribly in it. But <laughs> Grew up in the citrus business. Uh, yeah, the, the uh, Citra Frost company that tried to produce and sell frozen OJ, but... They froze the juice itself as opposed to the concentrate, and so they went oh. into bankruptcy within like eighteen months. Yeah, because it was watered down, right? Because if yeah. you freeze, yeah, yeah. Either way, do you remember the frozen orange juice? Yeah, yeah. You mean I like in the can? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That you just have to like put out on the counter all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing that I would assume I'm probably the like youngest person that remembers. That. I remember my dad doing that. When yeah. I was growing up. You're not younger than me. What That's I'm saying point. is like, oh, of anyone listening, like if yeah. you're younger than me, you probably don't remember that I think experience. it's still a thing. It's, it's still a you thing. You can buy cans of concentrate. Yeah. 
No. Would you like yes. this in the can? No, here's good. <laughs> uh, so they go out to D.C. in 42. No, uh, please put it in the bag. Where he works as an attorney with the Office of Price Administration. Pretty boring job, but he gets to see, you know, problems of government bureaucracy up close. Following the attack on Pearl Harbor, he enlisted in the Navy, served stateside for a while, and then in the South Pacific, which is interesting. Guadalcanal. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting for someone brought up in the Quaker faith to ask to be sent overseas to fight. His naval career ended with the war, and in 45, he was looking for his next job, just as a group of pretty prominent Southern California Republicans were looking for a suitable candidate for the House. And he, when he came back, he lived uh, next to a guy that owned a bunch of minks, like a mink. The animal. And yeah. they just he said like their house smelled, and they just shrieked all night long. Oh, God. <laughs> I remember just... thinking as I was reading that part, like, I get why somebody was like, I'm making a coat out of you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is how you're going to act. Yeah. That's it. I think a mink is like a cousin of like an otter, isn't it? It's like uh, a possum. Awesome. Um, One, two, put three, it in your pocket. <laughs> no, I thought like a mink looked like a ferret. Yeah, it's. I think, yeah, ferret, yeah. otter. I guess possums look like, or yeah. not possum, uh, uh, otters look like ferrets too. Yeah. They're water ferrets. Water ferrets. <laughs> Uh, in January of 46, he was honorably discharged as a lieutenant commander. That November, he defeated five-term veteran Democratic Congressman Jerry Voorhees, Voorhees. And, Voorhees and was elected to represent California's 12th district what? in the House. Jason Voorhees. Oh, he, he ran a very slanderous campaign. Yeah, he Voorhees. really did. And afterwards, he said, of course, I knew he's not a communist. Of course, I knew he voted for plenty of bills because he ran on saying he didn't vote for anything. Yeah. But I had to win. Do you understand? I had to win. Mm. Clearly, like, we're setting ourselves up for a high character individual. Yeah. We just broke into the dean's office. Just left his those religion dominoes. behind to yeah. go to Guadalcanal. Oof. That same month, he was tasked by the Speaker of the House with traveling throughout Europe and preparing a report on the Marshall Plan. Do you and then when he... who famously said that he was the, quote, the man our country needs based on his trip through Europe? I don't remember. John F. Kennedy. Oh, yeah. He became wildly popular when he went on his tour of Europe, and JFK roundly endorsed him by saying, he's yep. the man our country needs. Which in a matter of maybe 10 to 12 years, that position would switch. Facts. <laughs> yeah. So he comes back, and the House GOP gives him a seat on the House Un-American Activities Committee. Do you know what that is? I think so. The HUAC? The McCarthy, right? Yep. Correct. It was formed in the late 30s to go, I think, against Nazi propaganda, but then McCarthy got his teeth into it. And yeah. In 48, there was this big case investigation, rather, against prominent State Department employee Alger Hiss, who was basically working as a Soviet spy within the State Department. And because of his involvement with that case, Nixon was easily reelected in 48 with the endorsement of both parties. In 50, two years later, Hiss was convicted of perjury for denying under oath that he had passed documents onto the Soviets. So, I pointed at Russ during that because that, I don't know this for a fact, and I'm putting you on the spot, but Russ, I feel like you know a lot about this Alger Hiss guy. Do you? Mm. It's, he's I for whatever I, I reason I might have at some point. I've read about him in a couple of different books at this point. Yeah. Um this book, the CIA book, um something else. And every time I think I almost guarantee Russ has gone down this rabbit hole. I, I yeah. think I definitely have. On on a side note, I like the idea of Quakers in California being called Earthquakers. Oh, oh there it is. Gosh, yeah, no, there's so many things to that. I'm proud of you for that. I appreciate that. Yeah, because they're hippies, Mm -hmm. you know. 
Earthquakes. Earthquakes. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Oh, I get it. That was me being Ryan and explaining the joke. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for Thanks that. for the earthquake <laughs> reference, Russ. So from 50 to 53, he's in the Senate. Very briefly, he ran against uh, Helen Douglas in a campaign that echoed his house race with the campaign smear tactics that he used. Wait, real quick. The, the reason he became popular because mm-hmm. of the Algar his thing was yeah. because he was the one that was cross-examining him. Correct. That got him. Like, he knew he was putting him into yep. slander. And he was the one. And Algar Hiss was uh, like a Harvard educated yeah. like dude. Yep. And while he was on the stand was like, he like straight up looked down on him because he went to Whittier. Right. Yeah. Like he was like, you are not allowed to even talk to me, let alone cross examine. Yeah. And basically like the whole, most of his answers were him looking around the room doing the get a load of this guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. And then, yeah, when he ran against, uh, what, what was Helen her name? Douglas. Helen yeah. Douglas. Like he was basically like, we can't got to get rid of the communists. Yeah. Well, there was a, his campaign manual included what was called a pink sheet, uh, that compared her voting record to a lot of other communist party members. And, uh, that's when he earned the nickname. Tricky Dick. Yeah. Tricky Dick. Helen Douglas is the one that came up with that nickname. Oh. Yeah. Former governor of California. He was, like I said, he was only in the Senate for three brief years. While he was there, he took a very prominent position in opposing global communism. He was chummy, but not too chummy with McCarthy. And he also criticized Truman's handling of the Korean War. He was definitely an opportunist. Like he, yeah. he un- 100% understood, oh, okay, so we're all scared of communists. Well, what if we lay it on thick mm-hmm. on the communist thing? Yep. Um, people will get behind me then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in 52, Dwight Eisenhower gave 39-year-old Nixon the VP nomination on the Republican ticket after he had gotten some California delegates into the Ike column. On September 23rd, 1952, Nixon gave his famous televised checkers speech, which was heard by 60 million people. So he was basically being accused of financial impropriety while he was campaigning. And the response, Blaine, do you want to tell this story about the dog? So, so he was being accused of making money off campaign contributions. So they were saying like campaign contributions aren't supposed to go into the bank account of the politician. And they were saying he was actually being bankrolled by these contributions. And he laid it all out there, showed his finances to the world, showed his finances to, well, showed finances. I don't know if they're true or not. It would have been a lot easier to get away with stuff at that point because it's pen and paper. Yeah. Showed them to Ike. Ike didn't believe him. Ike wanted him to resign. He decided he was going to dig his heels in and fight it. He did a nationally televised speech from Cleveland. Ike was pissed. Oh, Ike was super pissed. Like, yeah. Ike didn't talk to him at all for yeah. two terms because yeah. of this, because he wanted him to resign. He gave his checker speech, which he basically said, you know, you've seen all the money. The only thing we've ever been given is this dog. But, you know, look at it. It's cute. I can't tell my kids. I can't, you know, what do you want me to go home and tell Trisha? You know, I <laughs> had to give the dog back because somebody gave it to us. Like, yeah. whatever. And basically the country rallied. They're like, oh. Yeah. They were like, yeah. The people love Cocker Spaniels. Oh. Like, it's odd that Dick we have Nixon a dog has too, a Cocker honey. Spaniel. <laughs> yeah. I like this guy. Yeah. Yeah. But well, maybe it was maybe it was that. Maybe they were like, hey, hey, the Dick guy from the stuff. He's got a Cocker Spaniel. That's pretty funny, right? <laughs> um, there was a campaign slogan. I, I can't remember if it was when he was with... Eisenhower or later, I think it was in 1960, where there was a campaign slogan called You Can't Lick Our Dick. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. (laughs) Was it just a different... It had to have been a different thing at the time, right? Like, it just doesn't have the same meaning as now. Can't lick our dick mean what it means now? It can't. It couldn't. For one, people would have named their kids that constantly. Yeah, yeah. Both my grandfather and uncle went yeah. by Dick. Shout yeah. out Richard. to Uncle Dick. Shout out to Uncle Dick. But 
Yeah, they had to have transformed over time because there's no way, especially in a time like the 50s where everything was hyper conservative and like Wally Beaver was the standard. Yeah, yeah right. There, yeah, like Can't if look. they thought Elvis was sexual. Oh gosh, which boy he's coming up later. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. Well, I can Dick uh, win the 1952 election in a landslide. And uh, Eisenhower gives Nixon more responsibilities during his term than any previous VP. He attended cabinet and National Security Council meetings, and he chaired them when President Eisenhower was absent. Second uh, youngest VP ever. Yeah. Right. At the time? I think, I think so. Quail? Yeah, he might have held the record. can't remember. Well, no, he was second youngest. Oh, okay. I think he's third youngest now. Because of Quail is what you're I saying? I think so. Because yeah. if you think about it, like after him, Ford didn't have one, and then it was Reagan, Bush. Clinton, go ahead. How old is Harris? Oh, maybe it is her. I feel like she might be late 40s, early 50s. Yeah, maybe it is her. Either way, he was the second youngest at the time. In the spring of 53, Eisenhower sends him over for a two-month goodwill trip to over 30 countries throughout the Middle East and Asia. Why? Um, Get him out of the way. Because he was like, "This. why is he here? Yeah, go away. Get him out. Get him out. Two months? Yeah, just go. Uh, While he's over there, he visits Saigon and Hanoi, a little bit of foreshadowing there. In September of 55, Eisenhower suffers a heart attack and Nixon presided over regular cabinet meetings uh, because the 25th Amendment wasn't in full effect yet. It wouldn't happen for another maybe 12 years. He famously, well, actually not famously, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people don't know this, almost resigned from politics when that happened. Like he saw the toll that it took on people and was like, I don't want to do this anymore. He did give a really good big speech during the when McCarthy and Eisenhower started going toe to toe, and Eisenhower ended up taking McCarthy down. Yeah, I, I believe that didn't McCarthy start to attack like an army captain officers? Yeah, he was, he was a dentist. Yeah, Nixon gave a speech like they were basically like, you know, why are you even in the same side as McCarthy? Yeah. It was before they completely took him down. Before he went completely haywire, and he said. When you go out to shoot rats, you shoot straight. You don't shoot wildly. It only means the rats will get away, and you might shoot someone shooting the rats. Hmm. So he was saying, I've got to align with him, because if I like go after him, a guy who's on my side, even yeah. though he's on the far end of my side, gonna be then out. I might miss who we're actually going after and actually hit him hurting everyone, Yeah, which is very problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, Eisenhower and Nixon were re-elected by a second landslide in November of 56. Early the next year, 57, Nixon goes over to Africa, and he also helped to shepherd the Civil Rights Act of 57 through Congress. The bill was weakened in the Senate, and Nixon told the president, like, you need to sign this, which he did. Then Eisenhower suffers another stroke. Nixon gives a press conference, kind of calming the nation down, saying, like, it's going to be okay. He's traveling again in 58. Uh, He goes to South America. And you remember what happened in Caracas? It could have. Like, he could have died. Yeah. I had it as 57. But, yeah, he could have definitely died when he was down there. Like, there were giant violent protests as he was walking on the street. Yeah. And it would have been probably not very hard for him to have not made it. Yeah. There was like a pipe wielding mob and like they stoned his motorcade and the the attack actually made him super pop, even more popular back home, which I'm sure he relished in. Um, because they were probably communists. Yeah, he was like, like you, course, I mean, well, because everybody always knows when a country's communist, it's the citizens that want it. <laughs> well, he came, he came back and reported to the cabinet 
He said, quote, there is absolute proof that the protesters were directed and controlled by a central communist conspiracy. Secretary of State John Dulles agreed, as did Director <laughs> of Central Intelligence Shocking. Alan Dulles. Yeah. So, Shocking that the Dulleses were like, hmm, did we smell communism? Yeah. I wonder why. Yeah. We definitely didn't put them there. Yeah. All in favor? <laughs> so Should we kill them now? Yes. You mean the guys we just put in power for a few months ago? Yes. Mm, I don't remember that happening. <laughs> In July of 59, he's traveling again, this time to the Soviet Union, for the opening of the American National Exhibition in Moscow. He was touring the exhibits with Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev when the two stopped at a model of an American kitchen and they engaged in an impromptu exchange about the merits of capitalism versus communism that became known as the Kitchen Debate. Which is interesting. There's a famous picture of them basically like in this makeshift little kitchen with like the oven and the, you know. The so they were at Ikea. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> basically. Man, the Swedes, they know what they're doing. You want to go get some meatballs? In 60, he ran for president with Massachusetts Senator Henry Cabot Lodge Jr. against the other senator from Massachusetts, JFK. The two candidates participated in the first televised debates in American history. We talked a little bit about that in JFK's episode. And Kennedy defeated Nixon by the smallest popular vote margin in American history, only 112,000. 1,827 votes, so 0.2%. And, and one of the things that actually turned this election wasn't necessarily that debate. The debate had something to do with it, but there was another really important thing that I don't think we've learned very much about in our history books. Right around the same time while they were running against each other, uh, Martin Luther King got arrested mm, in Alabama. Hmm? Either Birmingham or Montgomery, maybe? So it was during a sit-in. Okay. The judge used a parking ticket to sentence MLK. Okay. And he was going to, or he had sentenced him to four months of hard labor. Good night. For a sit-in. And Nixon refused to step in and do anything. Mm. JFK stepped in and he and his brother got MLK released. And that was actually one of the bigger turning points in the election. Okay. So we hear a lot about like the lighting and the sweat and JFK looked tan and, you know, comfortable. There's, there's things to that, right? Yeah. Like I've heard, and and the book supposes that, Actually, JFK won the content, too. Like, you've heard a lot of people say, like, well, if you're listening on the radio, yeah, Nixon. The, this specific book says that's also not true. Yeah. Like, most people were like, what happened after right. that debate? But everybody remembers it because he looked bad, too. Yeah. So nobody talked about how bad he sounded. Yeah. So, go a, ahead. Go ahead, Russ. A parking ticket? Like, <clears throat> did he, was he actually, did he have a car and he was illegally parked? Or was the sit-in in in like a... Or are you saying they used an old outstanding parking ticket as the loophole to basically hold over his head? And also, like, we don't know that he actually got a parking ticket. Like, we're talking about Alabama in the 60s. I just like the idea that he, like, parked illegally. (laughs) And that's that's what got him. It's like, it wasn't uh, being a mafia person that killed Al Capone. It was tax evasion. Tax evasion. And syphilis. Yeah, that'll yeah. do it. The Nixons returned to California in January of 61, where the former VP practiced law, and he wrote a best-selling book entitled Six Crises. Check out this excerpt from his memoirs and tell me the stage wasn't already set for future scandal. Quote, From this point on, I had the wisdom and wariness of someone who had been burned by the power of the Kennedys and their money and by the license that they were given by the media. I vowed that I would never again enter an election at a disadvantage by being vulnerable to them or anyone on the level of political tactics. Which is weird because that he said that because the only thing that I could find of high character that he ever did in his life, which is an exaggeration probably, but the one that I wrote down on paper, he had 
he was upset and he was crying election fraud in both Texas and Illinois. And if you look at both the states and where their electors like ended up, it was quite possibly true, especially knowing what we know about Joe Kennedy and how he yeah. paid for things. He chose not to go after it because he knew the nation didn't need a constitutional crisis. Yeah. Considering what he did after that, it's surprising that he ever made that decision. Sure. However, like him being the father of probably the father of modern politics, mm. it's very interesting that, that the opportunist in him decided to be like, you know what? The nation doesn't need this whole rigmarole right yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, he launched a campaign for California governor in 62 against the incumbent governor, Pat Brown. After his last defeat, he held what he claimed was his last press conference, angrily telling reporters, quote, you won't have Dick Nixon to kick around anymore. What was his wife's maiden name? Uh, Ryan. Oh, okay. For a second, I was Thelma like, did Ryan. he really run against someone with the exact same name as his wife? It was another Pat, yeah. <laughs> Hey, on that note, we're going to take a quick break so you can hear from one of our sponsors. You're listening to the crook of the Presidential Podcast. We'll be right back. Facing the transition out of the military is rarely easy. It doesn't help that the staggering number of options you're faced with can be overwhelming. But there's a light at the end of that tunnel for all veterans. And that light shines brightest here in Indiana. Lucrative careers in fast-growing industries are plentiful. Housing costs are amongst the lowest in the nation. And you can live in the country while being less than an hour from a world-class city. At InVets, we're showing veterans how to translate the valuable skills they've learned to the civilian world while connecting them with careers they can be proud of so they can lead fulfilling, purposeful lives. Go to InVets, that's I-N-V-E-T-S dot org. Create a profile to learn more about Indiana communities, browse the current open job openings in these communities, and receive your free shirt. That's InVets, I-N-V-E-T-S dot org. Welcome back. Well, from 63 to 67, Nixon joined a prestigious law firm in New York City. He became financially well off, and he even argued a case before the Supreme Court. He played a pretty marginal role. What was it? I don't know. Can't just throw that out there. Let's look it up as Russ pours himself another... (laughs) 19 crimes. With Snoop Dogg on the light. Is is this like Snoop's vintage? Like, Does he own this brand? I don't know, man. Okay. It's called 19 Crimes. All right. right. This episode's called The Crook. Did you want some more? 2D Bindu. Yeah, sure. I'll take it. Thanks. He introduced Barry Goldwater at his party's nominee at the GOP convention in San Francisco. That guy was fine. Everything was fine with that guy. (laughs) Yeah. He campaigned for Goldwater that fall. He earned the gratitude of conservatives. Uh, but they lost in the largest landslide in post-war history. Uh, Ronald Reagan? Until then. Huh? Until then. Correct. Ronald Reagan was rising politically at this time, but he had never held public office, and he had to run for governor of California before he could be a credible candidate for president. Just kind of thinking, you know, parallel to Nixon, what's going on in future presidents' lives. I just thought that was an interesting... Depending on your definition of credible. Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, in August of 68... Just four months after MLK's assassination and two months after Bobby Kennedy's Nixon was nominated for president on the first ballot by the Republicans, Ronald Reagan moved to make the nomination unanimous, and Nixon tapped Maryland's Governor Spiro Agnew as his running mate. So just all around, like, I mean, just top of the line, class acts on this ticket. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Richard Nixon, Spiro Agnew. We'll talk about him, I'm sure, with our, our friend Russ. They went full uh, save the families, right? In the hard conservative line. Yeah. There was also like a war on drugs that went on. Oh, at this yeah. Point. Nixon yeah. didn't want to just lose one war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> 
Yeah, so basically, you know, he saw young white anti-war protesters and black Americans as a threat to his 68 election. And there was this Harper's article in the April of 2016 issue that basically Nixon's domestic policy advisor, once he was in the White House, John Ehrlichman, quoted as saying, we knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. There's a phrase and it's, it's called saying the quiet part out loud. Uh, and I don't know if anything embodies it more than that statement. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, By the way, with, well, we'll talk about it when we get to Russ. Well, that uh, November, the Nixon Agnew ticket beat VP Hubert Humphrey by less than 1% of the vote. And third-party candidate Alabama Governor George Wallace, we've heard of him, of course, in the general election, he won the Electoral College on a 3-2 to two margin. But he only won 43% of the popular vote which really wasn't a national mandate for Nixon at all. He became the first non-incumbent VP to be elected president. But because the Democrats still controlled the House and the Senate, he was also the first president elected without his party winning either House of Congress since Zachary Taylor in 1849. Do you remember like what he did that helped? The, uh, the felony? That helped him win? I don't. Uh, so he, LBJ, had essentially got a deal cut um, with the Russians and a few others to create a ceasefire in Vietnam and start an exit strategy. Yeah. Okay. And he worked through, he as in Nixon, countered by starting negotiations via Anna Chenault. Chenault, most people know of in history as the Dragon Lady, but he basically got the Vietnamese to come to the table again and agree to not to agree to anything with LBJ so they could push it mm. off so LBJ wouldn't have a big win right before the election. Yeah. However, it actually is a felony to what meddle in foreign affairs of state without like permission. So I sure hope so. And yeah. he did, and it worked, and it got them to keep the war going for another four years and roughly 20,000 deaths Gosh, good that Lord. we can roughly say are directly attributed to him wanting to win a election. You got to think too, uh, I mean, growing up in, in high school, learning about the Vietnam War, hearing about it from, you know, our parents' generation of what they, I, I don't know how old all of our parents are, but, you know, my parents were in high school when or in college when this was going on. But you know, Vietnam was on the world scene as early as like 46, 47, you know, and you think how long it lasted for those POWs, the American ones to come home, like mm. in what, 70, when was that? 73. Um, I mean, that's a long span. French of were there for a long time. F French were there. I mean, you know, we're talking Truman and Eisenhower were involved with, you know, with Indochina is what yeah. it was known at the time. Yeah. So like, I I'm just trying to think through back all the stuff I've learned about the Vietnam War and what I've heard about it, um, you know, it, it didn't just start with LBJ. You know, we talked about in Kennedy's... It's just so wild. It starts this, like, path, though, of, like, what are we doing? Like, a war was extended by four years so an election could be overturned. Yeah, yeah. Like, 
Yeah. It, it's really, it really, if you go too deep into a lot of these things, can send you down a very jaded path. Sure. About our history. I can see that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he's inaugurated as president on January 20th. Not that I've done that. No, no, no. no. <laughs> jaded? You know. <laughs> That's part of why we love you. January 20th, 1969, he's sworn in by his one-time political rival, Chief Justice Earl Warren. His wife, Pat, held not one but two family Bibles one of which was open to Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, which reads, They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. In his inaugural address, Nixon remarked that, quote, The greatest honor history can bestow is the title of peacemaker. Russ has a question. Oh, God. Which is a phrase that found a place eventually on his gravestone. So, How? What? So, uh, Yeah, he was so- like, there was a line in that the John Cena movie where it's like, I love peace so much, I don't care how many women and children I have to kill to get yeah. it. Like, how on earth was that the verse they took was beating your swords into plowshares for know, Nixon? Man. Like, it was the absolute opposite. Yeah. Come full circle, daddy. Ugh. Ever since we plowed the lime fields. A month into office, he made his first foreign trip as president to Europe. He visited France, Great Britain, Belgium, and the Vatican. I found this interesting. March 5th, 1969, shortly after taking office, he established the Office of Minority Business Enterprise, which would later be renamed the Minority Business Development Agency. So this was tasked with helping to grow minority-owned businesses in the nation and giving federal support to these minority businesses. We're not proposing that it was his idea nor that he was all that for it. It just so happened to be created while he was in office. He established it. So the I eight, promise you he did not establish it. Interestingly <laughs> enough, <laughs> he might ag- have signed something. The agency was cut in Trump's fiscal year executive budget in 18, but he restored it for some reason in 19's budget. So it's the only why, federal why, agency to be restored. Reason, what after- happened after 19? Well, I said for some reason he restored it in 19. Yeah. What happened the next year? Yeah. Was it, oh, it was an election. There it is. Mm. Uh, it was the only federal agency to be restored after its proposed elimination. And then Biden recently signed it into permanence under the Department of Commerce. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting. He announces a withdrawal plan to get out of South Vietnam by August. That obviously didn't happen. Exactly six months into his presidency, on July 20th, 1969, he made the longest long-distance phone call ever when he congratulated Apollo 11 astronauts Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin as they walked on the moon. This lunar landing fulfilled the promise that JFK made nearly a decade prior. Yep. 1969 was also the beginning of the ARPANET. Oh. Yeah. Remind me what that was. The original internet. There it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then Title IX, the EPA, and the NOAA. Yeah. So this is moving into 70. He signs uh, the National Environmental Policy Act. Something, you know, obviously Watergate overshadows a lot of his legacy in current, you know, our our general age and generation, we think, oh, Nixon, Watergate. But he actually did a lot for the environment. He launched the Clean Air and Clean Water Acts, the Mammal Marine Protection Act, and the EPA, like you had mentioned, Blaine. It's interesting that you say, like, I don't know, words have meaning, right? Like, I don't know that Richard Nixon did a lot for the environment. I guess by definition, by signing some things into law, I I don't think that he ever thought further than 30 seconds in front of his face of what will help me get reelected at all Mm. times. I don't think that he cared about any of this. He had advisors that would be like, hey, a lot of people will change yeah. their minds about you and vote for you, especially one party or one issue voters Yeah, because they exist. I think for the most part, that's that's probably most presidents. Not most no, presidents, uh, yeah. but 
most modern. Mo- I mean, yeah. I do not like this guy at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is hard to look past the lens of like all of his sure. crumminess. Like, let's yeah. use that. Let's talk about <laughs> okay. the vice president, who oh, yeah. was also a super upstanding citizen. Here we dope go. name. Really awful use of a super dope name. Uh, if you're, yeah, ju- if you're just listening to Nixon's episode as your first uh, foray into this journey with us, welcome. Russ is our vice presidential expert and a great producer. I mean, let's drink to Russ, by the way. We don't often do this, but shout out to Russ. Just Russ is, all right. hold you, it down. You're the real MVP. All right, so talk to us about what you learned in your uh, book on the vice presidents about Spiro Agnew. Spiro Agnew was born in Baltimore on November 9th, 1918. Anyone? Give me that again. What date? November 9th, 1918. So a Shortly year and the, a couple of days before the armistice. armistice Day? Not a year before. I thought it was two 1919. Days before. Two, two, two or three days before. Yeah, two, two days, days before. before. Oh, man. Sorry. I thought it was 1919, that Armistice Day. Maybe that was Treaty of Versailles. I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. Yeah. But My bad. Yeah. Nail on the That's, head. You'd think I'd, hit that. I'd get that right. He was uh, Maryland's governor. Correct. He ran for Maryland governor versus a... Uh, segregationist named George Mahoney. That kind of civil rights moderation, really, he played that up and it allowed him Mm. to bring in the minority vote. And he trounced this George Mahoney guy who was basically a a George Wallace type of student of George Wallace, whatever. Was was Maryland uh, a split state in the Civil War? Mm. Was it similar to like Missouri where there were North and South I don't remember. That seems like it's too far up. Yeah, it seems way too far up. And it was way too close to the capital. Yeah. Like, okay. I mean, D.C. touches it. Okay. I can't imagine that it was a southern state. Okay. Maryland, by the way, was a, a slave state, but it never seceded from the Union. Oh, Continue. We'll see? Thank you. What do we know? There you go. Nothing. What do you mean? We're right. It didn't secede. But it was a slave state. So I so say it was, it was split. So it was Pennsylvania at one point. But, I mean, you would say it was split then. It was a border state. I mean, it was... Well, I... You could say, like, theoretically it was split, but it didn't fight for both sides. It fought oh, for the you. Union. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure most states are split. I mean, knowing what we know about Indiana, Indiana now, sure. it was probably yeah. pretty split. Yeah. There were uh, all my hopes of running and- for <laughs> <laughs> Let's drink to Blaine's political ambitions yeah, being just, dashed. I just threw them down the toilet comment. with that comment. Ah, oh, what we know about Indiana. <laughs> I would 100% vote for you in any uh, political uh, race, by the way. I would, well, too. Uh, thank you. Almost you. any political race. <laughs> I love you so much. <laughs> he was governor of Maryland, and after the Martin Luther King assassination, mm-hmm. there were riots in Baltimore. Like, it was for days. There was violent riots. There was fires. And, and what did he do about it, Russ? <laughs> so what did he, he do? So he called together all of the moderate black leaders okay. to what they thought was going to be kind of a rally to yep. move things forward. And instead, he just lectured them. Oh, like laid like, into them. He laid into Like he wow. read them the riot act. Yeah. How, said, what, how could you let your people do this? This is ridiculous. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, blah. There was no... Yeah, they walked out. He yeah, was treating them why. like children. Yeah. And they even said that. They were like, how dare you treat us like children? It's not wow. like we're not trying to move this forward. Gosh. Yeah. What the belief is, is the reason that he was calling them out was because he wanted Nixon and the national campaign to see what he was doing. Like okay. he was very much an opportunist and was doing it for that reason. Yeah. 
possibly, or he could have been. Or so maybe just been like it. It. I was moderate on it before because it never really affected me, True. and now it's affecting me negatively. Mm. So I'm going to be mad about it. Do you think Nixon saw a little bit of himself in Agnew? Sure, mm. for a little while, maybe. He was like. You're willing to do, you know, pretty much whatever. I'm willing to do pretty much whatever. Like, think about what we can do to get there. Yeah. yeah. But it got Nixon's attention. When he was governor of Maryland and when he was vice president. He was VP. <laughs> you won't remember because he resigned in protest. So when he was governor and when he was VP, yeah. he was accepting bribes for Shocking. contractors. Shocking. For... After, based on everything you've said, the, the, I would have never guessed he, he mm. would have accepted yeah. a bribe for, yeah. for county and state contracts. And he even... <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. They found it out because there was a contractor that was being investigated. And they said, you either tell us what you know, or we're going to get rid yeah. of your immunity and we're going to prosecute you. And the contractor said, you can't do that because I've been paying off the vice president. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. What did you say? Yeah. <laughs> you paying off who? Yeah. There was even a briefcase full of $10,000 in cash. Of course there was. That he received in the basement of the White House. Wow. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And it was. Wow. Gosh, that's that's up there. Yeah. So no, it's I mean, down. Oh yeah, yeah. it's Basement down. down. It's that's good bottom. Point. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm saying up there with the shady stuff that's happened in the <laughs> oh, basement I of the see. White House. But you're right, though. Literally, it is down yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's where I thought we were going with that. Yeah. He was prosecuted. He was given three years of unsupervised probation and okay. a ten thousand dollar fine after resigning the vice presidency. So that was the stipulations. To keep him out of jail. So really, the, the stipulation was resign the vice presidency. Because yes. all they did was took that briefcase away yeah. and said, you're on quote unquote probation. And he's like, well, what do I have to do? And they're like, nothing. But it lasts three years. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So. Well. Yeah. Or, go right. home. Right. Agnew didn't have the money to pay the $10,000. So. <laughs> the plot thickens. The plot thickens because in order to get that, he had to get a loan from his very good friend. Frank Sinatra. Oh, wow. His golf buddy. Apparently, Agnew played a lot of golf with Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. Golf with the wrong people. Or the right people. Like, he paid 10000 He not only paid... No, I'm saying, like, nobody's given me $10,000 that I played oh, golf with. Yet. yet. That's yet. for sure. That's You're playing golf with the One of the guys the I play golf with gave us these microphones, so there's that. Oh, Shout out to Brett. Point. Love <laughs> yeah. you, Brett. That's a good point. Frank Sinatra not only paid the $10,000... Fine, but he also loaned him $200,000 to pay all of his bills. Wow. And another $150,000 to pay back taxes because when the attorney general, oh my gosh, when the attorney general of Maryland found out that he was accepting bribes for these contracts, yeah, he was like, You didn't pay taxes on those bribes. Ooh, sorry about you, buddy. So then he hit him with back taxes yeah, and interest. And he I'm had, sure. yeah, yeah, and he had to cover those as well. So Frank Sinatra covered it for him, bailed him out. Wait, so, like, what's oh, half a million on. dollars back then? I mean, more than that. I mean, that's it's more than that. Now. It was a lot. Cash now. Yeah. Just yeah. Say, hey, Ben, you can edit this out because I was just asking for a friend. Are you supposed to pay taxes on bribes? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what uh, people used to call Agnew? This is going to go back to uh, Andrew Johnson. No. They called him Caligula's horse. Oh, really? Yeah, that was one of the things they called him quite a bit. Caligula's horse. Yeah. Yeah. It was the horse that ate gold or something, right? 
Uh, no, Caligula made his horse like a, an aide or something. Didn't yeah. He? Oh, aide de camp. Yeah. yeah, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Do you know who? So he resigned. I want to know what he had on Sinatra. Like, was Agnew had to have been friends with the mob? Oh, Why right. else is? Because you're not. No matter how good your friend is, you're not just giving him money to pay his. That's the first thought I had. Is, that's mob money right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's be. that's Agnew had. He was like, I mean, I can tell him where you live. Oh, that's a good point. Like, I guarantee you lived in Baltimore. Or he, you know, Baltimore, Maryland. Like, yeah. he had mob people in his pocket. I yeah. guarantee yeah. you he was like, I can keep them off of you if you pay all this Gosh, stuff. politics, Because I, I refuse to believe that somebody like, well, really, just about anybody's like, dude, you've been through it. Let me give you, yeah. what is that, $360,000 to get you through this rough time. Yeah. That's yeah. not happening. Just out of the goodness of my yeah, heart. That's, that's not true. happening. He was the second VP to resign. Do you know who the first one was? Was it Gilded Age? No. <sighs> Pre or post? Pre? And we all should know this. Oh, yeah. Aaron Burr. Nope. Drink. I'll still drink, though. Well, I said it, so you have Hold to. Uh, it wasn't Aaron Burr? No. And we should all know it? Hold on. Let me yeah. think about this. Oh, wait. He looked a lot like himself looking at a picture of himself. Oh, John uh, Calhoun. John, John, John Calhoun. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that deep dive. The father of the Confederacy. In the spirit of Agnew. <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if we've said this on air before, but like I was at a uh, Books a Million or Half Price Books like uh, uh, going away party or whatever they call it when they declare bankruptcy because they're Amazon. Sale. Yeah. 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 And there was a Calhoun book for like $3. It was his biography. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. And then I read it and it's basically like an apologist version. It's like six, 700 pages of, of why like Calhoun wasn't that bad. And I was yeah. like, no, what? No, I'm yeah. not reading this book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. $3. Yeah. I, I went to his grave in Charleston and there were like yellow roses all over it. Like they just deified this guy basically. But anyway, in December of 70, Nixon uh, met with Elvis at the White House. Elvis just showed up at the White House at dawn with a fan letter and was led in to meet with the president. Dude. Okay, there's a whole movie about this. I'm pretty sure Sam Rockwell's in it. Okay. So because of LBJ, well, actually, I think it was Kennedy tapped the entire White House. I think LBJ updated them. Nixon got rid of them and then got super paranoid. Well, he no, got super he paranoid. added a ton of tapes to like so, Camp David. And- well, no, he got rid of LBJs, but then he got paranoid. So oh, he added freaking wiretaps everywhere. Thank you. Because of I, that, I we have like a full collection of everything that was ever said yeah. in the Nixon White House yeah. to include when... Freaking Elvis was there. Yeah. So the movie is is like the exact word for word wow. of what happened in the White oh, House. Wow. That's what makes the movie so hilarious. That's is cool. because like all of the absurd stuff is yeah. exactly what was said. Because this was when Elvis was like super into drugs. Oh, and, like, yeah. A Denver sheriff. <laughs> you want to see my gun? <laughs> yeah. Like, he was like into Kung Fu somehow, yeah. even yeah. though he'd never been to like a Kung Fu class. Yeah. Yeah. And he would pull people over. Oh, a, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. He, requested- he was like Steven Seagal. He was the Steven Seagal before Steven Seagal. Like, he requested that Nixon make him a federal agent at yeah. large, and he collected badges, yeah. and Nixon found a badge it. and We've- gave him a badge. We've seen the badges, and as a matter of fact, uh, if you want to make people mad at the Nixon house, make fun of that era. It wasn't off. the Nixon house. It's the Elvis house. Or, sorry, the Elvis house. Also known as Graceland. Yeah. We were walking through Graceland. Yeah, no. Ugh. And we're laughing and people are like, what is so funny? And we're like, he was on so much LSD yes. during all oh, of this. Yeah, and yes. like, that's a rhinestone pistol that yeah. he carried. <laughs> and that is a badge from yeah. Denver for some reason. Yeah. 
And they were like, he, he show some respect. You're in his house. <laughs> <laughs> he would show some respect. He would pull people over. Yeah. He would pull people over just for fun. You know how fast you were going. Like, and we can't be the only people that have ever gone through that and looked at that oh, through no. the lens of the yeah. correct absurdity that no, it is. Just, but these people hold such reverence oh, for man. this man. They were like, show some respect. You're in Elvis's yeah. house. And we were like, yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Like, did you see that yellow monkey in the other room? <laughs> <laughs> So anyways, oh, we should man. take a break. Yeah. Uh, Elvis was in the White House. You need to see that movie. Like, it, I'm pretty sure it's called Elvis Nixon. No, that's Frost Nixon. Frost it's Nixon. called like Elvis in the White House or something like that. It's, it's oh, something man. insane. Uh, and the best part about it is it's all entirely true. Yeah. Hey, when we come back, Nixon's going to China and then Watergate's about to happen. You're listening to The Crook. We'll be right back. Hey guys, it's Ryan. If you need custom-made t-shirts for your team or organization, look no further than our good friends here in Indy, The Art Press. The Art Press is a local, eco-friendly small business that's been around for years here in Indy, designing and printing all the super comfortable shirts you may have seen through their parent company's store, Vardigan. We've worked with them on our awesome new shirts that feature Thomas Jefferson riding a fire-breathing mastodon, and our experience couldn't have gone better. If you need help creating a design or you have your artwork ready to print, Derek and the team at The Art Press can help you get your orders set up online quickly and easily. Plus, they ship everywhere and offer excellent customer service. Get a quote on your order of shirts today at theartpress.com. That's theartpress.com. I just want to be your federal agent at large. 1971, all right? So taping systems are activated in the White House, in the Oval Office. The Trish's cabinet wedding. Room, just everywhere. Trish's wedding. Walks his daughter down the aisle at the White House there. Pentagon papers come out. And New York Times published the secret internal documents, which basically ticked Nixon off to no end. And within a week, a special and very unconstitutional investigations unit named the Plumbers was created to stop the leaks of information. Also, you know one of the ways that he tried to uh, get into China to meet Zhao and Mao? Zhu and Mao? Z-H-O-U. Mao, I got. That one, I got that. Yeah, Premier Zhu and Lai. Zhu. Okay, yeah. Zhu, yeah. Do you you remember how he, what what method he used to infiltrate? I don't. The United States ping pong team. Oh, yeah. So that's a piece. Yeah. But I, like, even though there's all those, like, famous parts of Gump that you're like, oh, I get it. I didn't realize that was a real thing that we did. (laughs) It's actually based on truth. Yeah. Well, yeah. So in February of 72. Go ahead, Russ. No, you have ping pong. Didn't we play there? It's like a smaller version of pickleball. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoy ping pong. Didn't we play, like, their second string and we still lost? Probably. I think that's what it there was, was yeah. no chance we'd seen that kind of speed on the outside at that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. A lot of speed. Oh, wow. A lot of speed on the outside. Uh, in February of 72, Nixon becomes the first president to visit a nation not recognized by our own government. He visited with Chairman Mao Zedong and Premier Zhu Enlai. And it was unique because the U.S. recognized Taiwan as the legitimate government of mainland China. Do you remember what he said when he visited the Great Wall of China? I don't. I don't. He's... He said, this is a great wall. That was it. <laughs> I mean, like, that's literally every dad's dream. 
yeah, is to yeah. just go to the Great Wall of China. It's a great go, wall. What a great wall. A like great, he gosh. was he had his new balance wall lights on at the time. <laughs> he just finished mowing the lawn. His, <sighs> Trisha was a hard eye roll at that one. Like, man, I want to be clear with all the dad jokes. He actually said that. That was not a joke. That was not a setup that's by a me. Like that's wall. an actual thing that he said. Can you imagine me the translator? I mean, like, oh god, I gotta say you, this. Do you want me to say this? You really, you like really, you realize you sound uh, like I'll an say idiot it. right I'll, now. I'll say it. I, I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> the most lasting contribution of that visit was that the U.S. recognized the People's Republic of China as the sole diplomatic voice of China. Three months later, he was the first president to visit the Soviet Union, and he signed a historic agreement on the limitation of strategic arms with Premier Leonid Brezhnev. All right. Okay. so Was he eyebrow or no eyebrow? I think Brezhnev was very heavily eyebrow. Okay. I think he was heavy eyebrows. Almost a unibrow. So around this time, June of 72 is where the Watergate scandal is beginning. Where, I mean, gosh, we could do an entire episode on Watergate. I don't know how deeply we want to get into Watergate. uh, But around this time, it's starting. He also accepts the Republican nomination for president. And soon declares that no one on his staff, in his administration, or anyone, quote, presently employed, was involved with the Watergate break-in. So just we'll just do this and then we'll just kind of move on. So yeah. for one, he never needed it. He won by a giant landslide. Yeah. Two, he, from everything that we can tell, honestly did not know what was happening and did not know the people that were going into it. He, and and three, that is not why he was impeached. He was not impeached for Watergate, for he the never, actual break-in. He never was impeached. Well, yeah, because he resigned first. Technically. The, he would not have been impeached for the break-in. He was impeached going to be impeached for obstruction of justice to cover up the break-in. And, and like misuse of power. There were like because three once, charges. Once yeah. he fa- the, the real crime started once he found out about the break-in. That is correct. Had no one told him it happened, he would have legitimately been able to claim plausible deniability for the rest of his life. He had like... He did not order it. The code read... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who orchestrated You need me on that wall. It was Gordon Libby. Gordon Liddy. There oh, was his name, Gordon Liddy uh, yeah. and Howard Hunt were the oh. two guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, and which, by the way, this didn't end their careers. No, it ended his. Yeah, <laughs> but they continued to be very prosperous. I think Liddy comes up at Clinton. Yeah. Well, he orders his chief of staff Haldeman to tell the FBI stop going further with the investigation. So that's the obstruction of justice yeah. aspect. Shut him down. Open up shop. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't just like a landslide. I mean, it was like 49, 49 states. out of 50 <laughs> states, 61% of the popular vote. However, Democrats still controlled both houses of Congress. A day after his win, he cleared his entire administration and basically asked for the resignation of all agency directors, department heads, and presidential appointees. So he cleaned shop. I just wonder what that, like, I'm trying to piece together what that, why that would have been. Like, if you're voting for a Democrat in for your your district, but a Republican for the presidency. What's happening there? What's your thought process? Is it, well, nothing's really going to change at the top level, so who cares? Or, but I do know that this person will have a direct impact on my life at home, mm-hmm. so I'm going to vote for this person. Or is it, I have such disdain for the other person. Like, who did Nixon run against? I don't remember. I don't remember in his re-election. I don't recall. I mean, it was clearly somebody. I mean, maybe that's what it was. Maybe whoever it was it McGovern. Uh, it was Humphrey at first. So if McG- if he ran against McGovern, it would have been this I one. I think it was McGovern. Okay, so maybe there was just something about McGovern that like it was Democratic Senator George McGovern of South Dakota. 
maybe it was because he was from South Dakota. Who knows? Like, it yeah. just, it's weird, right? To, yeah. to, to carry that many states, but not carry the House or the Senate? No, neither. Yeah. Like, that's weird. Yeah. And so that means that a lot of people either voted for a third party, which isn't true because he got 61% of the vote. That Correct. means a lot of people voted for a split party on their ticket. Yeah. And that's interesting. I was looking to, like, I had to dig to find out that it wasn't, in, I mean, as far back as Zachary Taylor, that that happened where the president who was elected did not have his party in either house of Congress. There were times at like the midterm where it would switch, mm-hmm. you know, or like Cleveland would come in and he had the house, but not the Senate or something like that. But Nixon for both terms, neither had yeah, the house or the Senate, which is crazy. Weird. Right. Yeah. A week after his second inauguration in 73, the U S South Vietnam, Viet Cong and North Vietnam formally signed an agreement ending the war and restoring peace in Vietnam and Paris. The last of the 591 American POWs captured during the Vietnam war returned home in operation homecoming on March 29th of 73. There's a very historic agreement with the Soviet Union. The prevention of nuclear war agreement was signed between the two nations in June of 73. And so this is when things really heat up. So that fall, he denies involvement in the Watergate cover-up in a televised address. Also, war is breaking out in Israel, the Yom Kippur War in October. It was around this time that he is really struggling with alcoholism and insomnia which basically made him unable to attend to his job in times of crisis. Like Kissinger had to step in in a lot of that to basically tell the world like, no, we we got this under control. He's just doing other stuff. Nixon was out of commission during a lot of that. Kissinger, without him, it could have gone uh, a much different way. But like you said, Russ, Agnew resigned on October 10th of 73. Shortly after that- That's one of those things I don't think people realize. Well, or people just assume, well, he must have been involved in Watergate as well. Agnew? I did. Oh, yeah. yeah I think sure. most people, like sure. if they knew Agnew resigned, they just assumed it was because of Watergate. Yeah. Not at all. Not at all. Not Completely at all. separate reason for totally that. Separate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, Gerald Ford, October 12th, 73, was nominated vice president. After being confirmed by the Congress, he was sworn in in early December. So spoiler alert, the reason that he got put through was because they he was the minority leader. So we still have yet to have a majority leader take presidency that's still i think we said that really early on like Mm -hmm. there was a majority there's only been one person there's been zero people that have ever done it because we as we know they didn't have the house or the senate correct ford was the minority leader Mm -hmm. they made him vp and basically when democrats started being like no no no, we are going to have the presidency yeah when this guy gets impeached or resigns, other Democrats were like, guys, it's Jerry. Like, we know yeah. this is a great person. Yeah. We cannot say no to this yep. dude. Like, because he was that good of a human being and high character person. In the I Senate. knew so little about Jerry Ford prior to this journey. And I really, really admired Gerald Ford. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about that yeah. in a couple of weeks. But I, I do think that that's important to point out. Like, Democrats had the chance at that point to be like, yeah. we don't have to approve this. Yeah. Like yeah. we have the, all the power here yep. and we can get our guy Yeah, because whoever the speaker of the house was at the time would have been president and it would have been pretty easy. And they were yeah. all like, nope, there one continuity we know we can have is this person because he's always done things the right way. Yeah. So stand up guy. Yeah. So it's 74 now. The Senate Watergate Committee is now subpoenaing 500 tapes, which Nixon refuses to hand over, stating that, hey, it's got to remain confidential out of, you know, matters of national security. Even in the State of Union address, he demands that the Watergate investigation stop. I mean, talk about continuing to fight it. 
He becomes the first president to visit Egypt, Israel, Jordan, Syria, and Saudi Arabia while this is all happening in June of 74. July of 74, the Supreme Court rules in an 8-0 to decision that Nixon has to turn over 74 tapes, which disclosed his knowledge and participation in this cover-up. Of and it is important to point out, he very easily could have destroyed those before it got to that point. Yep. Without anybody knowing, Correct. he could have destroyed them. Well, there was this smoking gun, you know, this one tape that I, I can't remember the story that... Zapruder. He was on a grass <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there was, there was some guy that was like, well, there's tapes down here yeah look and they're like well, I'm sorry, that, what? that goes back to he everybody knew he had the lbj wire t- or taps yeah, yeah. taken out not everybody knew he retapped everything correct so that was where that came in was like he had the opportunity before that guy spoke up to yeah. destroy all of it yep and he didn't and yeah. then that guy was like well you guys know that he rebugged everything right and so, they were like i'm sorry time out what yeah sorry what's your name again <laughs> who like, are you yeah, it was just, a, he yeah. re, I rewired all of this like yeah. three months ago. Yeah. Like, no one asked me about it though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, throughout that summer, he is continuing to dig in his heels and, and deny that he is going to resign. Impeachment is right in front of him. Kissinger, Ford, you know, other leaders in the Congress are basically telling him like, you need to get out. And finally, on August 8th, he announces, okay, I'm going to resign. The next day, yeah, that very famous two V for victory signs as he's, you know, taken off in the helicopter. He bids farewell to the White House staff and returns to California. Can we pause here for a second? So a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, we had this text stream going between the three of us about like, what's the most insane thing you've seen on TV, right? Up to this this point, like, I think it's important to think about this. The president of the United States, granted, they've seen Vietnam on TV, but not live. Like, they knew it was just things that people had already seen and were deciding was safe. They watched their president that 61% of them voted for quit, Mm -hmm. throw up two peace signs, get in a helicopter, and leave. Yeah. If that was it, can you imagine what was going through most people's heads like, uh, what do we do now? Yeah. yeah. I mean, not to mention... At a time where you could really only get answers by like waiting till tomorrow morning when you get the paper or walking outside and talking to Jim about it next door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or a news anchor to tell you what's <laughs> yeah. going on. Well, But uh, even then, the news anchors are... It was before the quote-unquote fairness thing. act. So all they literally did was tell you the news. Like, So they were like, well, you saw it. He quit. Yeah, that's it. There it is. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then they were like, night, leave it to Beaver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good night and good luck. Uh, the economy's in the tank at this point, rising unemployment and inflation, lengthening gas lines, and a crashing stock market. In his inaugural address, incoming President Gerald Ford declared, quote, our long national nightmare is over. A month later from assuming office, he granted Nixon a full pardon, which we'll get more uh, into in next episode. In 78, Nixon released his memoirs, which sold over 300,000 copies, becoming the best-selling presidential memoir to date. Really? Yeah. That still? 300,000 still the best one ever? With Bush having one, Clinton having one, and Obama having one? Uh, There's no way Obama Maybe at that point it was Oh, you're saying to that date. I'm sorry. I misunderstood. I misunderstood what you're saying. You're all good. He served as America's elder statement advising Presidents Reagan, H.W. Bush, and Clinton. His library and birthplace opened on July 19th, 1990 in Yorba Linda, California. 
His wife, Pat, died of emphysema and lung cancer at the age of 81 on June 22, 1993, a day after the Nixon's 53rd wedding anniversary. And And he was absolutely furious that the Clintons didn't attend her funeral. Hmm. The sitting president and vice president didn't attend a former first First lady's lady's funeral. funeral. Um, And I suppose I understand that, but at the same time, yeah, I don't know. But like you said, you know, he was an advisor to Clinton too. So it's not like he was a stranger and it's not like Bill where we sit now. I think people forget how like wildly conservative and how much of basically a Republican Bill Clinton was Hmm. when it came to a lot of like his actions and policies. That's a good Um, point. And so like, it is surprising he didn't go especially with how much he just wanted everybody to like him. Yeah. But do you know he wrote nine books, visited China four times, and Russia ten times after he was president? Yeah. You did know that? Well, I knew that he was a best-selling author. Have you read this book? I have read that book. (laughs) Um, I didn't know that. (laughs) Nearly a year after Pat's death, Nixon uh, himself suffered a severe stroke on April 18th, 94, in his Park Ridge, New Jersey home. He slipped into a coma and died four days later with his daughters at his bedside. He also was 81. There was a three-mile-long line of mourners, 42,000 people waiting to pass his casket. He was buried on April 27th. 94 besides his wife at the grounds of his library just yards away from his birthplace and boyhood home presidents hw bush reagan carter and ford attended the funeral as did senate minority leader bob dole reverend billy graham officiated the ceremonies which tens of millions of people watched on tv so clinton didn't go to his funeral either Hmm. correct huh okay so there must have been like funerals it's possible i mean there might have been maybe there was something in there i don't know Let's dive into his legacy, shall we? Mm -hmm. Let's do it. He took office during the most controversial time in American history since the Civil War. So he inherits a ton of this upheaval. I mean, culturally, there's a ton Mm -hmm. of stuff going on. I didn't realize this, but desegregation of Southern schools reached its final push during his administration. He also transformed federal policy that affected the lives of Native Americans, which I knew nothing about. Was this the tear campaign? I'm sorry? Was this the tear campaign? Oh, the... The no, Pepsi that was litter. That was litter, right? Litter. That was litter. litter. Wait, did he affect it in a good way or a bad in, way? In a good way. Oh. Um, he restored many of the native lands, actually, that TR had kind of said, oh, this is, you know, federal land now. He basically gave them a lot of land back, kind of in the New Mexico area out there. I don't um, think that guy was Indian either. Which one? He wasn't Native American. Oh, the La Jolla? The, the tear guy. Oh, no. There's no. no. I think he was Italian. What are you talking about? The um, No, I think he the was. Litter. The litter campaign where With the, the, where the, the Native, Native American, American like close up and he just has, has one tear and okay. is trying to tell I think you he was litter. Italian. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> he yeah. pushed for healthcare programs that would be federally funded on reservations. He also created the cabinet level position for the Assistant Secretary of Indian Affairs. So a lot of the Native American community sees Nixon as doing a lot of positive good. Actually, there was some legislation that he started that ended up coming maybe several years after he was out of office that actually officially got signed off. But it was because of him. I, I did not know that at all. Uh, if you've ever been upset that you have to pay more for a stamp, you have Nixon to thank. On August 12th, 1970, he signed the Postal Reorganization Act, which created what we know now today as the United States Postal Service. So basically he said the Postal Service, at the time it was called the Post Office, has got to pay for itself. Created a public corporation, it took away all federal funding and said, you got to cover it through the no. sales of postage and products and services. Okay, a few things here. For one, it's still called the Post Office. 
Two, <laughs> I see what you're saying now about if, if you're upset, stamps go up yes. because the post office has to make stamps go up. To, yes. But because also, of like, the amount of, like, times the post office has been thrown in the political crosshairs oh, yeah. to be able to be like, oh, now, well, let's get mad at them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But of, also, like only old people know how much old how much stamps are. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. I just get the forever stamp. That's all I do. Well, yeah. not only that, but like I don't care. Like I yeah. use them one time a year, and right. it's just sure. send out Christmas cards, yeah. and they're amazing. Like, yeah. the you don't even have amazing. The, I do love the post office. Wait, yeah. What do you mean? I'm sorry. What? The logistics of it are amazing. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Like the actual like standing in line and waiting to do something. No, 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 no. Like how I put a letter in my mailbox <laughs> okay. and it ends up in China where I, you know, send. A lot okay, of so fun thought, and this isn't my original thought. I saw it somewhere on the internet. Yeah. Why do police still need horses? Just follow uh, me here. Like, can you think of a reason why any police officer needs a horse? Like they're in these big cities. Central what if, Park. Why do they need a horse? Because you can't drive a car. In you Central could drive Park. a moped. Or a um, yeah, any of Segway, Segway. Let's a lime scooter. Throw a throwback in there. Uh-huh. Let's just repurpose all the horses to the post office. Oh yeah, Pony Express. Oh Pony style. Express. Yeah, you see yeah. where I'm going yeah, with yeah, this yeah, now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, how great would it be? Like, I mean, my kids wait for the postman to show up because they think they might get something in yeah, the mail. Like one day. The insane people. And but if they were riding up on a horse, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. just got like Billy Ray and the little Nas X, <laughs> riding, riding around on a horse, <laughs> dropping off mail. Oh man, I love checking my mailbox. I, you know what, I do too. It's I do enjoy it. It's fun. It's you, like, I own this house and this mailbox. <laughs> Olivia still, my daughter, who's first grade, she still checks the mail. First thing when she gets off the bus, she runs to the mailbox to check it. She loves it. No. There's something about it. It's magical. Yeah. It is. It's like, oh, what's this? Yeah. yeah. NOAA, uh, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, the Clean Air The most Act. humble of all of the administrations. <laughs> that's a, oh, that's an Old Testament joke. Because oh. when Noah was writing about You won't how, get it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and, and I even, don't even think I have a right person. I think it was Moses that quoted himself as by saying that Moses was oh, yeah. the most humble person on yeah, the planet. Yeah, yeah, because he's <laughs> right. Yeah. There's like a verse in the Old Testament of a book that Moses wrote where he was like, Moses was the most humble man on the planet. <laughs> uh, Noise Control Act of 72, the Endangered Species Act. The keep safe- it down. <laughs> the what is the Noise Control Act? You keep it down. No, it's exactly what you think it is. Yeah, nothing uh, after 10. <laughs> and the Safe Drinking Water Act were all in his administration. So there's some legislation. How's Flint feel about that one? <sighs> it's a very Blaine comment, which I appreciate. <laughs> According to uh, C-SPAN's Presidential Historian Survey, which we always just, you know, survey for fun. Nixon currently sits at number 31 below Chester Arthur and above Indiana's own Benjamin Harrison. I like that they came down and they were like, hey, Richard, they're going to impeach you. And he was like, I don't want to wait for my turn to be over. I'm going to resign, get on this helicopter. Here comes Jerry Ford. I am not a crook. <laughs> do you want to know what's in the Noise Control Act? Yeah, I, I do. Love to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's in it that? shall be unlawful for any person to cause the creating of grating, screeching, grinding, <laughs> squeaking, loud reports or shots or other noises in the use of automobiles, motorcycles, 
or other vehicles. Okay, huh. so just another piece of legislation he knocked out of the park. Yeah. So we've got <laughs> Vietnam, uh, yeah. we've got <laughs> the War on Drugs, and the Noise Ordinance Act, yeah. all of those. Noise that, Control uh, Act. Yeah, yeah, Noise Control Act. Richard Nixon just eradicated and won yeah. single-handedly. Good job. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's finish this sentence as we always do. Let's um, use aloud here. Richard Nixon is the reason the United States of America dot 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 uses freaking gate for mm. everything. Yes. I'm so tired of it. Oh, yeah. Everything is something gate. Yeah. I, yeah, it was the name of the. It was the name the of the complex. hotel. Yeah. It was the name yeah. of the hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it is. Mm. And Forrest Gump's the the real whistleblower here because he was staying in the hotel that night. That's he saw. True. Him. That's yeah. right. I saw um, the movie, but. Yeah, I, I, man, can we, are we that uncreative? It's been like 60 years. Yeah, it's been a long time. 50, 50 years that yeah. we've just been like, was it bad? Is it, is it a scan? It's something gate. Yeah. Pizza gate. Lewinsky gate. Yeah. Like Sandwich every, gate. Yeah, everything's something gate. I'm tired of it. Had Elvis as a law enforcement <laughs> officer. <Yeah. laughs> King of rock and roll. Yeah, point break existed. Do yeah, you think- I mean that yeah, we we everybody loves a val- a villain, right? Yeah. Like I think at this point he's almost like a lovable villain because he shows up in pop culture all the time. Sure. Do you think we value transparency from our political leaders more because of Richard Nixon? <laughs> no, what are you talking about? What, meaning, what transparency do we get from any political leader? Meaning, no, I'm saying, do you think we want to see the dirt on those leaders more? Like, let's say Watergate didn't happen. Okay. Say Watergate didn't happen. Would we care as much about the backdoor dealings that are going on? I would, I mean, I still, I would argue that we still don't. Yeah, I agree. Okay. I don't think we do. I think we like to say we do, but we don't yeah. vote like we do. Yeah. Mm. It's a good point. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to talk about on the internet or like sure. over your like, you know, drinks with your friends. But like, sure. I don't think we don't, we definitely don't vote that way because we have this concept of like, well, we can't really change anything. So we have to vote for an RD or whatever. Yeah. 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 And, and, and not to mention, like, it's not like this was the first person that we dug up stuff on and people were like, ah, sure. leave it alone. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's an interesting point we made earlier in the, in the episode is like, this is only going to get exponentially <laughs> more challenging. You know what? I would be, as I would have been interested to see if, if they would have gone through with it. Mm. Cause there's a piece of me that thinks like nothing would have changed. Like he would have just gone through his term. Yeah, they, oh. they they wouldn't have got enough votes because yeah. there's so many people throughout history don't want to vote for something like that because it is a stain on whatever. Sure, it's a constitutional crisis, as he said when he knew about the election yeah. or you know claimed election fraud. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would have been interested to see how it played out because I, I I don't think it would have gone the way he thought it was going to go. Yeah, I'm really surprised he didn't own a monkey. Does anybody else? <laughs> Feel like he would have owned a monkey or a chimpanzee. Is he that had crazy? a cocker spaniel. I don't know. Why do you feel, feel like, like he, would, he would have owned I a monkey? Have no idea. Just to, nobody else. Because of Elvis. Maybe I don't know. Like on the payroll, or just like no, as a like, pet? no, no, like no. A pet. He's saying, yeah, he's yeah, like, as like you he's know, calling him a clown. Almost, but like you know, would like jump on its back and like I don't know. <laughs> Let's continue. <laughs> Which, by the way, like that's one of the greatest insults you can ever call somebody is like, who's this clown? Yeah, because oh, yeah. you're not only calling him a clown, but you're also implying he's a lesser known clown. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> it's rhetorical, but you also want to know yeah. like, who is he? Uh, uh, let's dive into little known facts, unless you guys have any other uh, legacy 
he's always going to be like the name of corruption, the face of corruption. And I would say, honestly, like he was probably him, maybe Goldwater before him. He was the successful Goldwater. Mm. You could name either one of those two, the father of modern politics. Hmm. We're here right now because of some sort of a combination of Barry Goldwater and Richard yeah. Nixon. Well, and and we too- really, the when they handed that baton off to Ronald, whoo. Well, you got to think too, like for maybe what, a couple decades prior to Nixon, there was pretty liberal democratic kind of a block of political mm-hmm. capital. And then 20 years after, pendulum swings completely the other way. Mm-hmm. And there were things that he did that were conservative. There were things that he did that were fairly liberal that historians are trying to pinpoint. It is an interesting but- way to look at it as a pendulum, because I think that we, I mean, we could probably look at that pendulum now, right? Mm. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Let's go in a little known facts. Nixon's mom uh, made him practice on the family's piano every afternoon. And in the seventh grade, he was sent 200 miles away to take lessons with his aunt, who studied at, drumroll please, Cornell, the Indianapolis Conservatory of Music. Oh. Which is kind of cool. So a little Indiana connection where we all are. He could play like five different instruments. Kind of cool. By the time he left the Navy at the end of World War II, he had won close to $100,000 in today's money playing poker. Uh, it, while in the Navy? While in the Navy. When he decided to run for office Depending in Depending on who he won that from, that could have been very illegal. Go ahead. Sorry. No, it's okay. I feel like that's where you're going with this. Well, by the time he decided to run for office in '46, those poker winnings provided a portion of the funds for him to be able to run the risk of seeking office. But yeah, he was kind of late to the game learning it, but then picked it up and made just a bunch of small winnings over time that he just made a ton of cash. Nixon and FDR are the only two people to appear on a national presidential ticket five times. In the early morning of November 22nd, 1963, why do we remember that date? Uh, J- uh, well, there was that that TV show that James Franco was in about the JFK assassination. <laughs> yes, there is that. Yes, uh, Nixon <laughs> rode through Dallas to the airport to fly home. What? Uh, so he was in Dallas the same day that mm. Kennedy was killed. So yeah, was. that morning... He was at a Pepsi Cola board meeting that he was on because uh, this this is the time where he's a private citizen, right? He's out of the Senate. He's not yet. Sure, he is private enough to kill the president. <laughs> and he saw the preparations for JFK's H. motorcade downtown. So he flies back to New York and he learns that Kennedy has been killed. And and he and everybody was like, he didn't seem that surprised. He was like, what? <laughs> In the city I was just in? Lee Harvey Oswald's wife testified to the Warren Commission Mm. in April of 63 that her husband read a local newspaper report, tucked a pistol into his belt, and told her, quote, Nixon is coming. I want to go have a look. After locking him in a bathroom, so Oswald's wife locks him in a bathroom. She convinces him to turn over his gun. And like, that's... Side of the story that like no one has ever heard before, but Nixon wasn't in Dallas in April of 63 and there's no newspaper mentioned any visit of his. So it's kind of weird. Why would they? He was there for a board meeting. It's not well, like they would that know. was November of 63. She's like, she's saying in April of 63. Oh, I'm okay. Oswald was like, hey, I saw on the paper that Nixon's here. I want to go take a look and like puts a pistol into his belt, basically. Huh. Or that's a planted story to make it seem like he was always trying to kill somebody. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Mm. 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 
kind of a boring little known fact, but still kind of cool. He appointed four justices to the Supreme Court while he was in office. That's a lot. Including Chief Justice Warren Burger and a future Chief Justice William Rehnquist. Hmm. He was the first president to visit all 50 states, but he refused to shake hands with anybody from San Francisco for reasons I do not wish to give airtime to. Oh, boy. Yeah. I, can I guess? Yeah. Can I? You, <laughs> you have anything it. to do with milk? You guessed it. His daughter, Julie, married Eisenhower's Julie. grandson, David. Yeah, it was real like, uh, yeah. uh, like what do you, like a royal wedding uh-huh. type thing. And we had mentioned that he wrote 11 bestsellers, including his memoirs. So he was very much an author. <laughs> do you think that life. when they got married, he was like, yeah, what do you think about that now, Ike? You want to get rid of me? You're not going to get rid of me for the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> Were any of them like fiction or were they all nonfiction? They were all nonfiction. He wrote some of them with that dude from Fox News. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Oh. The dude that writes all the books with like about like the fan fiction yeah, books yeah, about yeah. history. Yeah. Uh, we'll do Bill a live. Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly. He writes like these fan fiction non-history books. He wrote one with Bill Clinton. Yeah. <laughs> There's, didn't he do like Killing Lincoln and Killing... Oh, yeah. yeah he yeah, wrote yeah, one yeah. with Bill Clinton? Yes, he wrote like co-wrote one with wow. Bill Clinton. Oh, I'm Bill. pretty sure. I thought you were talking about Glenn sure. Close for a sec. Or not Glenn Close. That's the actress. <laughs> Glenn... Uh, what's his name? Oh, Beck. Beck. Glenn Beck. Thank oh, you. Beck. Glenn Close. <laughs> <laughs> oh, on that note, uh, thank you for listening to episode 37, The Crook of the Presequential Podcast. Sorry, it was just James Patterson. Bill, Bill Clinton wrote a book with James Patterson. Oh, okay. I was that way off. <laughs> it's way off. It's fine. Bill O'Reilly, James Glenn Patterson. Glenn Close killed that rabbit in that movie. That's terrible. <laughs> Same guy. Uh, no, our, Glenn Close, one of the puppies. I thought she killed a rabbit in she Fatal did in Attraction. Fatal Attraction. Oh, I was thinking of 101 Dalmatians. She. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So not Deville. wrong. All right. Cool. Uh, Our next episode on 38th President Gerald Ford will be released on Wednesday, July 6, 2022. Don't forget, you can get early ad-free and bonus episodes when you join our Patreon community today, starting at just five bucks a month. Thanks for leaving a review and following us on all of our socials at Presequential. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.